Hi, it's Dwyer, gamblersadvisory.com, a free site, bettingangle.us, a free site. It's the day after Christmas. Let's talk boxing. But first, remember, the opinion you should follow should be your own. Just consider this video to be a second opinion from a complete stranger online. Now, the people in boxing aren't telling you this. You should know that Jamel Charlo, according to reports, has broken his hand. Some reports have the breaks in two places. Folks, that's a serious injury. Very serious when you're a boxer. Understand, it's going to be months, and I mean months, before Jamel Charlo, who is the top at 154, who a contender has to fight and beat before that contender is going to have any legitimacy of replacing him at the top of 154. Just to understand, it's going to be several months before a doctor allows Jamel Charlo to punch anything solid. Months. Let's go one step further. It's going to be months after that before Jamel Charlo is able to spar, to build back up confidence. Right? Charlo doesn't want a chronically breaking hand because that would jeopardize his entire career. So, let's hope he listens to his doctors. Let's hope he takes time out of the ring to heal. His fight against Tim Sue, if it happens, is not happening for several rounds, excuse me, several months, right? That fight was supposed to take place next month, folks. That fight might not take place until late next year. Now, for contractual reasons, if you're Tim Zhu, you might keep your career on ice waiting for Jamel Charlo because you understand, again, he is the top at 154. You have a signed contract to fight him. You don't want to lose your place in line. But understand, there are many, myself among them, who will argue that Tim Zhu needs to get on with his career. He can't keep his career on ice while Charlo mends. There are others out there, Sebastian Fundora, Erickson Lubin, other big fights where he could hone his craft, raise his name, continue to keep himself in position to fight the best at 154. Just understand, hand injuries are like knee injuries for NFL running backs. They threaten your career. Jamel Charlo used to be a stylist in the ring. Now he's a knockout artist. Now he's trying to take you out. He plans on planting his feet, coming off an ambush style, and hitting you hard. With broken hands, you can't do that. 
Let's make a more controversial point. You want to beat a guy on the merits. If you're the challenger, the only way you get the respect of the public is by beating the guy on the merits. You don't want the fight to come across as some hometown gift decision. You don't want the fans to believe that the other guy was robbed. In situations like this, where a guy has broken his hand, you don't want the champ to re-break the hand in your fight and have fans say, okay, well, Tim Sue just happened to be Johnny on the spot, at the right place, at the right time. So if I'm Tim Sue, I understand broken hands are an occupational hazard in boxing. I understand, for whatever reason, I can't fight Jamal Charlo right now, Jamel Charlo right now. I want him healthy when we do fight. Right? If I could stay on cue to be Charlo's next opponent, okay, great. But that's going to require patience. Several months worth. Right? Just understand, folks, that fight is not happening anytime soon. Let's shift gears. Anthony Joshua is looking for a new trainer. And Lord knows people are auditioning for him, aren't they? Right, Robert Garcia, his trainer for his last fight, has said, hey, Joshua needs to leave the UK. Right, other trainers are saying, hey, not so fast. Roy Jones has flatly told Joshua, according to reports, if you don't improve your game with me as your trainer, then you're not trying hard enough. Jones is taking the tough love road. Right? Representatives of Derek James, the trainer of Spence, Charlo, who I just mentioned, Frank Martin, who I made an earlier video of, right? Elite fighters are saying, hey, you know, Joshua would do really well with Derek James, right? I'm sure there are a lot of trainers out there who believe that they can help Anthony Joshua. And I also know Barry McGuigan has come out and said, hey, AJ, you need to stop all this, you know, reliance on your trainer, own your career, right? This story's getting ahead of itself. Focus on the fundamentals. Well, let me just say, if you're a fight fan, you want to watch this story. It's a major story because Joshua is a very talented fighter. Right? He hits hard with both hands. You understand that. Right? He has wins over the likes of Vladimir Klitschko. Right? He once fought a unification match at heavyweight against an unbeaten opponent, Joseph Parker, who he gave Parker his first loss. Right, so if you're a trainer, you're looking at Joshua and you're thinking about the possibilities. Right, let me just say for fight fans, I want you to roll the clock back a bit. Right, I want you to remember Lennox Lewis, who, the Olympic gold medalist in 1988, who had some adversity in his career, 
right, was a little bit uncertain about himself. A lot of fighters have hit that crossroads at a point in his career. And he then hired Emmanuel Stewart. Stewart was not Lewis's trainer from day one. And with Stewart, Lewis goes on a run. Right? There was a time when many people openly questioned whether Lewis was better than a guy he beat at the Olympic Games in 88, Riddick Bowe, who became heavyweight champion and who had an excellent skill set. Right? Lewis faced some adversity hired the right guy, goes on a run. Well, understand, years later, Vladimir Klitschko gets destroyed. That's the only word I can use by Corey Sanders. Right? Hardcore boxing fans knew that Klitschko had lost earlier to Ross Purity. There was a question about whether Vladimir Klitschko could be successful at heavyweight. His brother, Vitaly Klitschko, at one point urged him to quit the sport. Well, it was that Vladimir Klitschko whose chin was over the pocket, who was leaning forward, who was trading with big punchers, right? Corey Sanders, folks, huge puncher. Look up his record. Southpaw. Right, that Vladimir Klitschko hires Lennox Lewis's former trainer, Emmanuel Stewart. And Stewart, who was great at reclamation projects, changes Klitschko's center of gravity, and this is in the middle of Klitschko's career. After Klitschko, like Lewis, like Joshua, had won the gold medal at the Olympics, literally mid-career. It's Emmanuel Stewart who says, player, get your chin from over the pocket. Let's change your center of gravity. Let's have you leaning back instead of leaning forward. Let's have you, rather than trade with guys, use your jab, which is an excellent jab. Joshua has a decent jab. Right? Stewart, who would have been perfect for Joshua, but Stewart's no longer with us, Stewart convinces Vladimir Klitschko to use his jab, to be patient. Understand, Klitschko never a mover. It's a stationary jab. Klitschko then goes on a run, owns the heavyweight division for a number of years. So a good trainer could really help AJ even now in his career. And understand, AJ's a heavyweight. I'm just telling you, heavyweights age more slowly than everyone else. Right? With AJ's punching power, if he can just change his game a little bit, change his pacing a little bit, who knows what'll happen? So if you're a hardcore fan of boxing, pay close attention to who AJ hires as his next trainer, right? It's very important. It could save his career.
just food for thought. I know people are saying, hey, he hasn't won for quite some time. Okay, fair enough. That's what happens when you're fighting the Usyks of the world more than once. Right? Just pay attention to his trainer. If AJ can just figure out how to work a few things, right? In my opinion, had he just been much more aggressive against Usyk from earlier in the fight, maybe things could have turned out differently. Let's continue. Devin Haney, the top at 135. Right? Understand, it's Haney who's traveling around the world fighting guys. I know 135 has a lot of talent. I personally think Haney's going to have a lot of problems with Loma. A lot of problems with Loma. Right? But understand, it's Haney unbeaten. Right? No losses like Loma has had. Right? It's Haney who's been at 135, unlike Shakur Stevenson who just showed up at 135. Right? I believe if you're going to be viewed as the top at 135, you're going to have to beat Devin Haney. So Devin Haney had some advice for Teofimo Lopez, who I personally thought lost to Sander Martin, but of course, I had money on Sander Martin. Right? So let's just say the consensus seems to be, at a minimum, that Teofimo Lopez's performance against Sander Martin, a guy who beat Mikey Garcia, let's remember that, was underwhelming, right? It was not a good night for Teofimo, especially when Teofimo was the one who hit the canvas, right? As I've pointed out here in a 10-round fight, if you lose a 10-8 round, that leaves nine more rounds, and you're down by two. So I just want the public to think, in the nine rounds in which Teofimo Lopez does not hit the canvas, does he win six of the nine? Because that's what it would take to win 6-5 on the scorecards. Right? If that's not the fight you saw, and that's not the fight I saw, if that's not the fight you saw, Teofimo may well have lost that last fight. Right? Against an opponent who's headhunting, he's not even going to Teofimo's body. Well, Devin Haney has suggested to Teofimo that he take time off from the sport, right? Teofimo's one of these guys who needs to be alpha, right? When he's talking to the press, he needs to reassure the press that he's been the one who's always in charge. Teofimo, as he sees it, has never lost a fight in his life, right? He lost to George Cambosis after the fight. Teofimo and his corner were saying, oh, we were robbed even though that fight was obviously close. Right, so Devin Haney doesn't believe Teofimo's head's in the right place. Clearly, Teofimo's game isn't translating at 140 the way it did at 135. Right, well, let me offer different advice to Teofimo Lopez because of the lay of the land. It's not an abstract question of is my game the best it can be at this moment? I don't believe that's the question. I believe the question is, is my game 
competitive against the state of the division right now? Isn't that the question? Right? Don't leave money on the table if your game's already enough to compete. Now, he's calling out Josh Taylor. I would argue that Josh Taylor has not been fighting his best boxing for some time. Right? I'll agree that Josh Taylor, who beats Regis Progre, I'll agree that Josh Taylor, who beats Jose Ramirez, oh my goodness, he's a load. But you and I know Josh Taylor has forgotten about his back foot. He seems to be training the same way Dillian White has trained of late. Right? A lot of fighters aren't on their A games right now. Well, Josh Taylor is fighting Jack Catterall, who we all thought he was going to beat easily when they fought the first time. And you know that fight was a robbery. Right? Josh Taylor hits the canvas in that fight. Right? Josh Taylor's getting cuffed around. There's no stretch of that fight where you thought, oh, Josh is making a mess. Oh, Josh is making him look bad. Right? Well, my point is, it won't be until we see Josh Taylor looking like Josh Taylor at his best that Teofimo Lopez has anything to worry about. In other words, a diminished Teofimo Lopez is competitive against a diminished Josh Taylor. Let's go one step further. We know what Teofimo has problems with. Guys who can move away from the pocket. Right? I would argue he would also have problems with some guy who can crash the pocket and tip him backwards. Well, just understand, Regis Progre, who is the top at 140 in my book, right? If you ask me who's the best at 140, I'd say Regis. Right? And I understand, Josh Taylor, former Undisputed, uh, unbeaten as I make this video, I get it, right? I would say Regis is the top. Well, Regis is in his 30s now, right? I believe he's something like 33 years old. Folks, this is not heavyweight. 33 is an old man at 140. I'm not saying life is fair. Life is unfair. Boxing is a young man's sport, right? Regis is older Regis is front foot heavy. Regis is not going to be Sander Martin on his back foot. Regis is going to try to crash the pocket. So Teofimo's current complaint, his current complaint is, hey, Sander Martin didn't come to fight. Apparently all Sander did was come to win, right? Because you can win fights on your back foot. If you're hitting a guy, dropping a guy, uh, making him miss, moving around the ring, well, the problem's with your opponent, isn't it? It's not with Sander Martin. The bottom line is Teofimo's going to stay across the street from Sander Martin. He'll never fight him again. Teofimo wants someone who's going to hang in the pocket. Be careful what you wish for, right? Because that's where Regis Progre would try to take you out. Teofimo wisely is calling out Josh Taylor. 
why not call out a guy who looked pedestrian in his last fight? So there's money to be made. The 140-pound division right now is shaky, isn't it? Right, Zepeda just lost. Ramirez lost to Josh Taylor. Josh Taylor, we'll, we'll put it in quotes, won against Jack Catterall when they fought. Right, let's just say, given the uncertainty of the division, rather than take time off, if Teofimo is who he thinks he is, why not stay in the division and unify some of the broken parts? Right, he's calling out Josh Taylor. Great, fans are interested in seeing Teofimo against a former undisputed champion. Right? Then, of course, after that, he can pivot to fight the real champion, Regis Progray. Fans would be interested in that match. But I believe it comes crashing down when Haney, after he fights Loma, if he beats Loma, decides that he can no longer squeeze his body into 135. Folks, believe your eyes. When you look at Haney, he's big. Just ask yourself... How much longer can he make weight? Right? I think Haney can just look at the Sander Martin film and can say, okay, I know how to beat Teofimo Lopez. Haney has great legs. Haney has a back foot. You have to find Haney when you're fighting him. I believe that Sander Martin fight is a blueprint on how to beat Teofimo Lopez unless Teofimo himself is looking at the film, loses the ego and asks himself the difficult questions like, well, what did I do wrong in this fight? Ask himself the difficult question of why are there people out there? who feel that this fight was razor close. Understand, this is worse than the Jermaine Franklin uh, White fight, Dillian White fight, because there, White could say, well, I wasn't knocked down. Right here, Teofimo's going to have to put that huge ego aside and ask himself that question in a fight in which he was knocked down. Right, so if I'm Teofimo, I hang in there. My reasoning is simply, well, Josh Taylor looked underwhelming against Catterall the first time, didn't he? My reasoning is simply, well, Ramirez and Progre couldn't quite work out their differences. Progre's going to need someone big to fight. He's going to stay in the pocket. I'm here complaining about a guy moving out of the pocket. If I am who I think I am, shouldn't I fight this guy in the pocket? Let's go one step further. Now, I expect, and I want to be clear on this, I expect Gervonta Davis to beat Ryan Garcia. But understand, if Garcia wins that fight, and Garcia, I'm sure, wasn't happy with the catch weight in that fight, right? Garcia wants to fight at 140. Right, 140. He's fighting Gravante at 136. Well, just understand, if Garcia wins that fight, he's going to be one of the biggest names in the sport. 
There's going to be a buzz about him. There already is on Instagram and Twitter. There's going to be a buzz about him. Folks, that's a huge payday for his opponent. And understand the uncertainty about Teofimo Lopez right now. In other words, there's skeptics out there. I'll raise my hand. Right? Translates into excitement among fans for a fight against a guy who has the amateur pedigree of Ryan Garcia, who has the popularity of Ryan Garcia, who's a knockout puncher, like Ryan Garcia is. By the way, Joe Goosen, who's been around a long time, right? Brother of former big-time promoter Dan Goosen, right? Joe Goosen flatly claims that Ryan Garcia hits harder than Gravante Davis, right? One has to wonder if Sander Martin was able to drop Teofimo Lopez, if George Cambosis was able to drop Teofimo Lopez, what happens when he's in against a big puncher? Now, in fairness to Lopez, let me just say Lopez is a master counterpuncher. We can criticize him all he wants. He clearly has a problem with guys who move like Sander Martin. But Lopez is an excellent counterpuncher. There are few who can counterpunch like him. Right? He's good. He just might not be as good as he thinks. Right? I think Teofimo Lopez against a guy in Ryan Garcia who stands upright, who exposes his ribs, who doesn't hide himself in the pocket as well as Teofimo Lopez, I think Lopez realizes he has an excellent chance of beating Ryan Garcia. So, I'm going to disagree with the top at 135 and Devin Haney. I'm going to say that because of the state of the division, if I'm Teofimo Lopez, even though my game is not where it was the night I beat Loma, I stay active. But privately, you better believe I'd be in the gym early. I'd be training as if I had a fight scheduled. I'd be looking at styles. Right? I'd be looking at Regis Progray films. I'd be looking at Josh Taylor films. I'd be looking at Ryan Garcia films. I'd be looking at Devin Haney films. Might as well prepare for the future. Right? I would take my craft much more seriously the next time I'm in front of reporters and they're asking me about the knockdown I suffered against Sander Martin. I'd be up front. Right? I'd say, yeah, you know, he caught me with the left there. You know, I wasn't prepared. He was confusing me in this part of the fight. I'm working on my game to be better prepared the next time I encounter that style. Let's close this video with really a very important boxing article. It's on BoxingScene.com right now. Now, I know... We live in a fast-paced world. I understand all of us have a hard time remembering what happened 10 minutes ago. 
What I want people to do in their spare time is to pull up the first Riddick Bow Evander Holyfield fight. Folks, that's a gem. That's a masterpiece. Those are heavyweights. Riddick Bow was a tall heavyweight. Right? The sport is almost unrecognizable. The guys, both of them, are throwing so many punches. The guys are so aggressive. Right? That's a masterpiece fight. That's a great fight. Understand, Evander Holofield enters the ring as the heavyweight champion. Because he, of course, had beaten Buster Douglas. Well, you have Riddick Bowe talking about this current era of heavyweights. And it's very important because his insight is one you don't hear every day. We talk about styles and stuff like that. We don't talk about how great fighters get you off rhythm, right? They'll jerk. They have a little hitch. It's intentional to have you think they're throwing a punch, then you throw a punch and they get to counter you when you thought you were countering them. So here's Riddick Bowe. He'll name the best heavyweight of the era. He'll tell you how he should be fighting, how he would fight them. And you need to think about the heavyweight division because some of the guys have the tools but don't have the confidence to use the tools. So here's a quote from Riddick Bowe. He says, I think Tyson Fury is a great fighter. I think he's the best of them all, right? In brackets, they put in this era, right? Then he continues. There are things he does that if in my era, then he pauses and says that jerky, jerky style. The thing is, if he jerky, jerky, I'm going to pop him. And guys aren't doing that. If they would... They would beat him. I'd have jabbed at him. Then I'd have stepped in and broken a rib or two. Guys aren't going to his body. They're letting him stand strong. He's keeping his posture. And as the rounds go on, they aren't breaking him down. They're not busting his heart, stopping his liver, or things of that nature. They've got to do the things that will make him tired. They're not doing that. Right now, in a different weight class, Gervonta Davis, please, look up this article on boxing-social.com. The name of the article is Riddick Bow Names the Best Heavyweight of This Era, and how to beat him. Right now, Bo doesn't say it. Let me say it here because it's pivotal to both Joshua Usyk fights. Usyk has the jerky, jerky motion. Right? If you look at the opening rounds of both Joshua Usyk fights, Joshua comes out the bigger man, the bigger punch, and he's frozen. Because Usyk, who's a southpaw, so there's a lack of comfort level already from Joshua, right? Usyk, who's a southpaw, is literally 
almost looking like he's having a fit, right? He's setting the rhythm of the fight. Joshua can't deal with Usyk's twitches, right, and hand speed. Understand, it's Usyk's hand speed that accents the twitching. You're out there, you don't want to get hit, and you don't know when the other guy is throwing punches. Tyson Fury has that going for him as well, right? He comes out and he's fainting. The other guy doesn't know how to respond, doesn't know when he's throwing punches. What Riddick Bowe, who quite frankly was a great fighter, didn't keep it going, had a lack of discipline, even Eddie Futch got tired of training him, right? But Riddick Bowe is telling you that what a Joshua should do, what many of these fighters with jabs should do, Joe Joyce, I'm sure Joe Joyce already thinks this way. Because Joe Joyce, of course, has sparred with Tyson Fury. And Joe Joyce has an excellent jab. What Riddick Bowe is telling you is you've got to come out and you've got to control the tempo of the fight, dampen the other guy's jerky-jerky by keeping him busy defending against your jab. Right? And if the guy starts ducking away from your jab, you've got to use those opportunities to go to his body. That jab should open the door for you. Right? You want to be front foot behind the jab. The jab should enter the pocket for you. Then, of course, once you're in the pocket, you need to go low. And understand, Riddick Bowe's like 6'4". You need to go low. You need to think about the guy's body. Your goal is to tire him. Now, we're in an era where young heavyweights who have not gone past the sixth round. Think about that, right? Jared Anderson, Fabio Wardley, right? These are young guys who haven't even made it to the later part of the fight, much less the championship rounds. They want bigger names. They're out there campaigning, and I can't blame them, right? You're a young guy. You want to be on top. You show up, you're looking at these older guys, you're thinking, hey, I can hang with this guy, right? They aren't aware of the fact that you need to complete that sentence, right? It's, I can hang with this guy in the early rounds because I myself have never been to the later rounds, right? A Tyson Fury, what Bo's telling you, has been allowed to coast. Guys aren't even working on tiring him out. So with Tyson Fury against these young guys with no experience in the later rounds, none. All Tyson Fury has to do is just survive early, right? These guys aren't trying to chop down the tree. They're not trying to tire him, right? So Fury, once he gets a guy into the eighth round, the ninth round, these young guys are going to fall apart because these young guys would be where they haven't been. And these young guys who are throwing straight right hands, power shots, haven't set the foundation. They haven't established a jab. They're not even thinking about the jab because all of these young guys have over 90% knockout ratios. 
right? They're not even thinking about the jab. What Bo's telling you, and Bo is a combination puncher. He's not even a pot shotter like these guys. What this former champ is telling you is against the Tyson Fury, you can't freeze. You can't be tentative early. You can't be who Anthony Joshua was in both Usyk fights. You need to come out while Tyson Fury is herky-jerky. You have to say, nah, player, I'm not having it. Here's my jab. I'm keeping you busy. You're not going to have time to be thinking about jerking and feints. No, let's get past the feints right now, early. Here's my jab. I'm going to be pumping the jab. I'm going to be close enough to you so when you're defending against the jab or trying to dodge the jab, I'm going to your body. I'm banking body shots. So when we get to the seventh or eighth rounds, you're feeling it. You're tired. If I'm tired, you're tired with me. Right, folks? All I'm saying is we're coming out of a big, clunky heavyweight era where guys aren't setting up the jab. You need to win the slow rounds, don't you? You need volume. You can't be standing there and just charging into the pocket like Derek Chisora every round, having Tyson Fury tying you up and all that other stuff. No, you need to make it so Tyson Fury has to work. You're keeping him busy with the jab, and that jab is opening up the pocket for you. Then when you're in the pocket, you're not going for knockouts. Rather, you're building the foundation to wear this man down in the later rounds. Right? Because the fight's going to go to the later rounds. Well, let's see what happens. The Usyk... Fury match is going to be fascinating because both guys are going to be fainting a lot. Just understand, Usyk fights faster than Tyson Fury. Usyk has the faster hands, right? Usyk is the more athletic guy, right? Understand, too, this isn't a fight where one guy has no experience. That that would be the case if um, Fury fought one of these younger guys, right? This isn't a fight where one guy has no experience in the later rounds and is just there trying to stand up in the eighth round, right? No, no, no. You remember how Usyk beats Joshua twice. It's Usyk in rounds 10, 11, and 12, who takes over, right? He's not there for a three-round fight. Folks, he's there for a 12-round fight, right? I'm almost afraid to mention that when I was growing up, the fights were 15 rounds. You don't think Ali Fraser in the Thriller in Manila wouldn't have been relieved if the fight ended at the end of the 12th round? Right back then, you had three more rounds to go. Right, you had to deal with a Joe Fraser for more rounds. Right, think about that. Here you have young guys who haven't even made it, haven't even made it to the sixth or seventh rounds in their careers.
right? So Riddick Bowe, you know, really reporters should be seeking out the Riddick Bowes, the Larry Holmeses of the world, right? The guys who wore the belt, the Lennox Lewises of the world, right? You should be seeking these guys out and asking them questions like, hey, what are these young guys doing wrong? Right, there have been some fights. Zhang Zhili, Philippe Ergovic, where Zhili is this close to winning the fight. I, I understand that Zhili people feel he won the fight. Okay, I can't, you know, he's this close to winning the fight. It's a fight where he knocks down, knocks down Ergovic. But Zhili was letting Ergovic leave the pocket, wasn't he? We knew all about Geely's big left hand. We didn't see enough Geely jabs, right? Geely was going for home runs, headshots, right? And he almost got a home run. He's trying to headshot Ergovic. What Geely should have done while Ergovic was bleeding from his head, had already been knocked down, is coming in with jabs, shouldn't he have? Shouldn't the straight left have been set up by rounds of jabs. Well, let's just say some fights have gotten away from some fighters in the later rounds, right? The Joshua Usyk fights. Had Joshua closed strong in the last fight, I believe he wins on the scorecard, even though I I personally didn't agree with the scorecards there. But then again, I thought Sander Martin beat Teofimo Lopez. Right, so this Riddick Bow article on boxing-social.com, that's a must-read. That's a heavyweight champ telling you, yeah, Tyson Fury is great. And he is great. Tyson Fury is one of the best ever. Right, but it's not like the folks fighting him are pushing him. Right, Deontay Wilder, I'll give Wilder credit. That last fight... Wilder comes out, Wilder knocks him down two times early. Right? Okay, great. The point is, when he got off the canvas, rather than try to knock him down a third time, shouldn't Wilder have been in there throwing a jab? Right? Throwing a jab. Keeping a confused Tyson Fury busy. Then shouldn't Wilder have gone about hitting him to the body? Saying, player, you've been down twice, and guess what? This fight's just starting. You're going to have to make it through round 7, 8, 9, 10. I'm here hitting you with body shots. You can look as tough as you want. I know you're feeling them. I'm keeping you busy with my jab. Some judge, some place is going to say, you know, Wilder's in this fight. Then it's going to think, you know, doggone it, Wilder's the one throwing the jab. Wilder's the one setting the pace in this fight. Wilder's the one on my scorecard I'm going to give that round to. Right? No, instead, we have, we're in a home run era. Right? Guys want to win by stoppage. They don't want to do the work Riddick Bowe is talking about. Your boy Tyson Fury is able to be herky-jerky all the way through the fight, right? Eighth round, he's herky-jerky. He's, he's grabbing Derek Chisora. He's... Hitting Chisora with uppercuts. He's moving away from Chisora. He's doing whatever he wants. 
He's not worried about that rib, as Riddick Bogus flatly tells you. I try to break a rib or two. That's the mindset. Right? It's like, hey, player, be as herky-jerky as you want. I'm coming inside behind a jab. Not naked like Derek Chisora. No, I'm coming in behind a jab. So you have to, here's your problem. You can try to grab me, but I'm going to hit you with the jab on the way in. Right? Fury has a full plate. I'm just telling people, Usyk is going to be extremely tough for him because Usyk's more athletic. Usyk's not going to fold. He's not going to fall down later in the fight. He has great stamina. He's going to be herky-jerky himself. Right? Josh, excuse me, Fury has Usyk. Then he has Joe Joyce. Right? Joe Joyce isn't going to run into the pocket like Derek Chisora. No, Joe Joyce is coming in behind a jab. Right? Joyce also understands. Fury has a hell of a lot of stamina. I've got to sap his stamina with body shots. Right? Rather than me come in and just swing at the guy's head, I've got to go to this guy's body. I've got to be inside. I've got to be leaning on this guy. I've got to let the guy get hit in the ribcage. And I've also got to expect this fight to go several rounds. Anyway, that's how I see it. Boxing-social.com. It's an article where Riddick Bo talks about the current state of the heavyweight division. Right? Understand, Bo, while his tenure did not last long, I would say his fights against Holifield are classics. We were robbed in the second fight by Fan Man. The first fight is a classic, folks. The way that trilogy ends is Riddick Bowe knocks out Evander Holifield. Understand, Mike Tyson and Lennox Lewis could not knock out Evander Holifield. Right, Riddick Bowe and James Tony. I keep telling people, look at Tony films if you want to see counterpunching. Get it done. Right, Bowe, combination puncher. Tony, counterpuncher. Right? Listen to the masters, the guys who have done it, who have been heavyweight champion, who have beaten Hall of Famers. Right When they talk about how they would face Tyson Fury, who is a historical heavyweight, right? understand all these older guys have opinions because they understand the significance of the Fury tenure. Right, These old guys would love to have a shot at legendary fighters. You have a legendary champion now. Right, I'm just telling you, He's up against a guy who's bigger than Sonny Liston. Don't get caught up in all this cruiserweight talk. Right? Usyk's bigger than Sonny Liston. Right? Recognize that some guys, Ezra Charles, for example, uh, came up, Michael Spinks, who destroyed Jerry Cooney at heavyweight, came up from the lower weights to create havoc at heavyweight. That's what Usyk's going to try to do. I'm just telling you. That fight's going to go several rounds. That's how I see it. 
Let me hear from you. I hope you leave your comments in the comment section of this YouTube video. Thanks for stopping by.